So let's pray and seek the Holy Spirit's help tonight to introduce us to Him. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and again, we thank you for all that you've done and will do, and now we prepare to open the Word of God together. The Word of God, you have given it to your church to feed us, to strengthen us, to cause us to grow in faith and in understanding of who you are and of who you've made us to be and what you've done for us in Christ. And Father, a major part of that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so as we open the Word of God tonight, we ask the Holy Spirit Himself to begin to reveal these things to us. Your Word says that eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for those who love Him. But Your Spirit has been given to us. This same Holy Spirit has been given to us to search even the depths of Your heart to reveal to us those deep and hidden secrets of the things that You have for those who love You. So we call upon the Holy Spirit tonight to do that in each of our hearts, to draw from this Word, to use the words of my lips, and to deposit in our hearts tonight truth that will change our lives, not just tonight, but forever. Because for the, the church today, this church, church, your church, needs the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what you've given us to do. We've tried programs, we've tried ideas, we've tried all kinds of things, everything else, but what you've given your church to do, and it has not worked well. We need the power of your Holy Spirit, and we declare to you, we don't know what to do, we don't know how, but we call upon you who does know how, and Father, give us understanding, build our faith tonight, that we may learn to flow with Him, and allow Him to use us to do His will in this place, and for that we thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Well, what we began to learn last time is that the Spirit of God has is, is been given to us. He is a replacement for Jesus. And we went through a simple, quick list of things, and I'm going to put them up here now. Those are the things we went through last time. The, when it says He is the Helper, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another Helper. That word in Greek is paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. And that literally means in Greek, someone who's called alongside of. Someone who's called alongside of. And I went through the seven parts that the Amplified uses to, to amplify that term helper. And these are different, these are different aspects of his, his, his purpose in our lives, inside of us, that, that the Bible tells us. He is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is our helper. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He is our strengthener. And He is our standby. So whatever you're going through right now, whether you're spiritually on top of the world or you're down in a deep valley, whether you're confused or you have clear vision, whether you feel weak or you feel like you could charge hell with a water pistol, somewhere in there we need one or more of those helpers to work in our lives. And we need to understand the Holy Spirit has been given to us exactly for that purpose. But the reason we're not experiencing that is we're ignorant of His reason, purpose for being there and we either don't understand what He's been given, we don't understand how He operates, or we don't understand or we really don't believe it or all of those. And we are all to some degree in that boat or we'd be seeing more of His power in our, not just our services but in our life. And so that's what we looked at last time. We're not going to go back. It's kind of an appetizer to whet our appetite as to why this is so why this is so important. So what we're going to begin to look tonight is we're going to begin a part of our subject, which is who is the Spirit? I mean, who is this Holy Spirit? We mentioned last time, so, you know, we can talk about the Father, and, and we all have some understanding of what a Father is. It may be good, it may be bad, but I say Father to you, and you have some image inside of you of what that is. 
we could talk about Jesus as the Son of God. And again, we have some image of what a son is. We may have very different images of what it is, but we all, it's not a strange thing to talk about. But when you start talking about a Holy Ghost or a Holy Spirit, I mean, just to talk about spirits right now is kind of spooky. Because we all have various ideas, and the media gives you ideas of what spirit, you know, these flimsy things now with this computer-generated stuff, they can make all kinds of images of spirits and ghosts and, and, and demons and things like that that man has come up with. But what does the Bible say a spirit is? But not only that, he's not just a spirit, he's a holy one. So how do we relate to a ghost that's holy? So that's one, of the things, that's one of the things we have to begin to move out of our minds. So we're going to start by discussing who is this Spirit? Who is this Holy Spirit that we're talking about? Because what we're going to learn is you are to have a relationship with Him. So in order to have a relationship with them, somebody, if you meet somebody and begin to have a relationship, you begin to just find out background. Who are you? Where'd you come from? You know, how long you've been a Christian? You know, you know, all kinds of just information so that we begin to form an image inside of us of who this person is we're beginning to develop a relationship with. And that's true with the Holy Spirit also. So we're going to begin that study night. We're going to cover a lot of ground because I'd like to do this in two sessions because this is just kind of warming up to where I really want to get to. So the first thing we need to see about him is that he is a spirit. He is a spirit. And what does that mean? What does it mean that he's a spirit? And we've talked about this in different contexts. When we went through the Renewing the Mind course, we talked about that also. The Bible teaches us that there are two realms of existence. Realm means an area, a, a, a sphere, a, a, an area of domain or dominion. Um, and the Bible tells us there are only two that we, the Bible tells us about, and that is the spirit realm and the natural or the material realm. The, the natural and material realm is the realm we're so used to. It's the realm you can detect with your five senses. So if you can see it, feel it, touch it, hear it, or taste it, or any combination of that, you know it's of the material realm. And your body is of this material realm, this pulpit's of the material realm, the chair your sittings of the material realm. And that's the realm we spend so much of our energy and time and focus and so much of our, of our, of our, 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 our effort devoted to it. And so for most Christians, that's the only realm they're really conscious of. And when that's the way we live our life, the Bible calls us a carnal Christian. It's not necessarily an insult. It means we're a baby Christian because we're living so much of our life just like we did when we were in the world. We're moved and motivated by the things that our senses tell us. So when the sun's out and, you know, the, and it's a nice warm day, we feel good. When it's cold and it's drab and dreary and it's been that way for two weeks, we don't feel as good. We're being moved by our emotions are being moved by what our senses are telling us. And that's not just true of the climate around us. It can also be true of events that take place in our life. You've had a series of bad events taking place. Well, I've had a bad day. We start talking like the world because we're allowing the world to influence us even though the kingdom of God is living on the inside of us. So spiritual maturity is allowing the kingdom of God on the inside to take become more and more real to us and live our life more and more focused on that. And you say, well, that's hard to do. Well, it is. It takes work, but it can be done because that kingdom is already on the inside of you. You don't have to go get him and pull him down. He's already inside of you wanting to make his, his presence more real to you and wanting to educate you and to teach you. But we have to begin to cooperate with him in that. And you can grow to the Spirit Prince. I know some men uh, uh, that literally live most of their life not conscious of their bodies. 
more conscious of the spirit man that's on the inside of them than the physical body that that spirit man is in. And, and God wants us to grow in that because this body influences us too much. It's always speaking to you. And its voice is too loud to us because we spent too much time listening to this voice and not developing a sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit that's on the inside of us. So that's one of the reasons we're going to talk about Him to make you more aware of Him. So the first thing is to realize that He is a Spirit. And a Spirit is, is, is a form of life that's created by God. It's eternal. It's more real than the natural. And this is one of the things we talked about in Renewing the Mind. The spirit realm is more real than the natural material realm. Everything in this natural material realm is in the process of decay. Your body's getting older, in case you hadn't noticed it. It's not looking younger unless you did something to it to make it look younger. In the process of time, whatever, Marianne Brown used to say, whatever used to be North Head South. Uh, it just starts sagging because of gravity and age and being around and, 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 and because it's aging, it's getting older. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, although my outward man is decaying, he's getting older, my inner man is getting renewed day by day. He's getting stronger. So the man on the inside of you, the real you on the inside of you, is a spirit being, and that being is eternal. Anything of the material in the spirit realm is eternal. That means it is never, it's not getting older. It's just getting stronger and better. So, and there are other aspects of that, but he is of the spirit realm because he is a spirit. Your spirit inside of you, your human spirit inside of you is the source of your life, the, the life within you. The Bible says in Psalm 119, when the spirit is removed, you die. Jesus yielded, says when he died, he yielded up his spirit. He literally breathed it out. He, he, he yielded up his spirit. When he, when he yielded up his spirit, his physical body ceased functioning. Your spirit, man, on the inside of you is what gives life to your mortal flesh. And the spirit of God on the inside of you is what's going to give life to your mortal flesh on the resurrection day. On the day of resurrection, if you're still here, what's going to transform your body in an inkling of an eye is not some power that drops out of heaven. It's the spirit of God on the inside of you. The power of the resurrection that's on the inside of you. You've got to get a hold of this idea. Everything God's ever done for you is on the inside of you. Your healing's on the inside of you. Your resurrection life's on the inside of you. Wisdom is on the inside. Everything you need. It doesn't have to come down out of heaven. It's in you right now. Then all we've got to learn is how do I cooperate with it? How do I tap into that? How do I let it flow out of me? Because God wants to release Him out of you. Release the life of God. We live at such a low level of life. The Bible talks about a level of life. I mean a physical level of life at the level where God lives. And I know of men, I've been reading after some, that have learned to tap into it. It's called the Zoe life of God. It's the Greek word for life at this level. There are never a, words, a number of Greek words for life that we translate by one word life, but in the Greek there are different meanings and the word Zoe means life at the level God lives it. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get burned out. He doesn't get discouraged. That life is on the inside of you. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the life he's talking about. He's not just talking about life when you get to heaven. He's talking about that life here. Because that life when you get to get heaven doesn't do sinners any good here. It doesn't do the lost any good here. It doesn't change the darkness that's here. And we've been left here as we've been learning for a reason to bring that light into the darkness. But the problem is in most of us Christians, that light's bottled up inside. We're struggling to get along just like the world is. 
And yet the life of God, the power of God, the ability of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God, it's on the inside of His church waiting to burst forth. But we're not aware of it. We live our life as if He's not anywhere around. And I hope maybe He's going to come down and help me. He's inside of us now. He is a spirit. And when He's put on the inside of you, it's like taking, they don't do it anymore, but a battery. They used to take a battery and you go to the store and buy a battery and it had the battery cells in it, the plates inside of it, but they would have to fill it up with a fluid to activate it. The power was in there, but it had to be activated. So it's kind of like that. We have to be filled with Him to activate that, that power that's on the inside. Back in Genesis, remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, God formed man out of the dust of the earth. That was His body. God formed that man out of the dust of the earth. The dust of the earth represents this material, natural realm. And so God formed the physical body of that man out of the material substance of this earth. But He was, he was not alive. And then it says in verse 7, And God breathed into him the breath of life. God took his own breath, his own life, his, out of his own lungs, and breathed it into that pile of dirt, that man that he'd formed, and <gasps> he became a living soul, it says. So the very life that was in that first man, and therefore transferred to every other one, literally came out of God's life, breathed into him. That's one of the things that differentiates man from animals. Because the Bible did not say God breathed His life into them. He just created them. God did not breathe His life into the plant life. He just said, let there be. But man, He formed in His image and breathed His own life into. That's what makes us different from all the other creatures of the earth. And the world system is trying to take that away. The world system is trying to tell us that we're just as good. The apes are just as good as we are. In fact, there are some, there are some teachers out there, I've read in the last year, that say there are some species of animals that are higher than some people. But see, when you take God, don't get me go there. If you take God out of the picture, man's capable of coming up with any kind of idea. And of course, the devil's the one that feeds it to him. All right. Okay. Now, in the, in the, 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 the I just want to give you a little bit of, uh, oh, well. so the, then we're going to, the next thing is, we're going to talk about, um, whoops, I got ahead of myself here. Okay. I did this out of order when I did this notes. That's all right. Okay, we're going to talk about... Uh, there, there are two Hebrew word, two words that are used in the Bible to describe the Spirit. In the, Greek, in the Hebrew, it's ruach, R-U-A-C-H. The next slide I'll get to has that up there. And it literally means wind, breath, or spirit. It can be translated either one of those. The Greek word for the same thing is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. And it means also either wind, breath, or spirit. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, it says that the, that, the, uh, that the Red Sea was held back by a great east wind. I believe that's the Spirit of God blowing on it to hold it up. And so you'll see other ways in which you can, if you understand that the word wind, breath, and spirit are interchangeable, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. All right, so who, who is this Spirit? First of all, we saw, I already said that He is a Spirit. Okay. The next thing about Him we want to look at is that He is part of the Trinity. He is part of the Trinity. So we're going to... These are the things... Oh, I know. These are the things we're going to cover. He is a spirit. 
We're going to go through these one by one. He's part of who God is. It's important to understand that. The one that's living inside of you is part of God himself. It's one-third of God. Because that gets, he's the tr- part of the Trinity. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit who lives in you is one-third of God. Think about that. One-third of God lives inside of you. One-third of who God is. Not the size of God, because there's no limit to the size of God. One-third of who God is and what God does is living inside of you. Two-thirds are in heaven, but one-third is living inside of you. It's part of who He is. We're going to look at the fact that He has a personality. This is very important. This is where many people will miss it, and this is where God's brought me back to because I've lost touch with this. He has a personality. He is a person. He's not a force. Then we're going to look at different names for Him in the Bible so that as you're reading your Bible and you read some other term that's used to describe Him, you realize, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing, we won't get to these tonight, the last thing that we'll look at is that the Bible uses different symbols that represent Him. Different symbols that represent, oil represents the Spirit. So when it talks about being anointed with oil, there's no power in that olive oil, whether it was blessed or not blessed. The power of that oil is it represents the Holy Spirit and His working. We'll look at at that. All right, now we're going to get to, I think, Now we're going to get to words for the Spirit. Here they are, just so you can see it. The Hebrew word is ruach, which means interchangeably breath, wind, or spirit. So when you see wind or breath in the Old Testament, that could just as easily be the Spirit. And in Hebrew, it's in, in, in Greek, which the Old Testament is in Hebrew, actually Aramaic. And the New Testament is written, the original New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word there is pneuma. And it also means interchangeably, breath, wind, or spirit. All right. Let's begin to look now at at the first thing we're going to talk about, which is that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. And I know many of you know that. It's good to review it. Some of you may not know this. God is a being who exists in three distinct forms. And this is hard for us to get our finite, tiny little brain wrapped around. But God is a being who is too big to exist in one form. See, God can actually function in many forms. When He came down on the top of Mount Sinai to hand down the... the, the, He only appeared in one form, and that was in the form of His power and lightning. And one place He says, I cannot appear in my actual form because you'd make an image of it and worship the image. So I've got to appear in different forms based on what's appropriate at the time. And so, so but He is, he is a, a God who exists in three different forms with three different functions. And it's important to understand these. They're all God, but they have three different roles and three different functions. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight looking at this. Uh, he's just too big to be in one form. I've mentioned this before. The, the, only, the best analogy that I've heard, and it doesn't fully do it, is water. Water exists in three different forms. There's the liquid form, but if you put it in the freezer for long enough, that liquid turns solid and becomes ice. But it's still, a, it's still water. It's just now in a solid form. If you heat it up to over 
2.12 or whatever it is, that liquid now begins to vaporize and it turns into a different form, but it's still liquid. So that if you, if you, draw, if you go out to your car on a cold morning when, the, when your windshield is colder than the dew point and the moisture in the air will then condense against that windshield and if it's cold enough, it'll freeze and turn to ice. So it will go from vapor to liquid to ice all in a matter of a short time, but it's still, it's still water. And so God exists in three different forms. The difference where that analogy breaks down is water can't be all three at the same time. And God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the same time. And so you need to understand that in order to understand who the Holy Spirit is. I'm just going to quickly go through some points and give you some scriptures. I'm not going to take the time to put them up there because uh, uh, we may come back and talk about them later. So we're talking about the fact that He's part of the Trinity. He is separate and distinct from the Father and the Son. In Luke chapter 3, as well as in Matthew's account, where Jesus is baptized in, the, is baptized in water, it says in verse 30, 22, "...the Holy Spirit descended upon Him in bodily form like a dove." And a voice came out of heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So here in this scene, in this verse, we have all three of them performing a function. We have the Son, now taking on flesh, who's been baptized in water, and He's coming back up out of the water. As He comes back out up out of the water, the Holy Spirit part of God now descends upon Him. When it says it descends like a dove, that doesn't mean He is a dove. He descended the way a dove would float down. That's what I believe this means. And so you have the, the Son present because Jesus, because He's just been baptized in the water. You have the Holy Spirit present because He's now descended to be upon Him for His public ministry. And then you have God the Father speaking out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So there are three distinct... Pre- in one scene, there's three distinct aspects of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus commissions His disciples, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 6, He said, I will ask the Father, that's the Son will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another Helper, who is the Spirit, who will be with you forever. So there's all three of them in Jesus' statement. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out that which you both hear and see. So Peter says here, Jesus, the Son, has been exalted to the right hand of God, and has been received by the Father, that's the second person, and the promise of the Holy Spirit, the third person, has now been poured out on you, as you now see. So those are just three. I could give you more examples of where in a particular promise or sentence, all three of them are present in distinct in different forms, and yet they're all God. And yet they're all God. Now let's talk about His place within the Trinity. We've taught this before. There is an order of authority within the Trinity. Although they're all God, their roles have a different level of authority. God is the ultimate authority. All authority comes from Him. All power comes from Him. He is the source of everything. It comes from Him. Remember Jesus when He was approached by a man and said, Good Master, and Jesus stops him and says, No, wait a minute. 
You need to get this straight. There's only one good, and that's my Father in heaven. In other words, he's saying, the goodness you see in me is because I've received it from him. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that he is the exact representation of the Father's nature. The Son is the exact representation of the Father's nature. And literally in the Greek it goes on to saying, he is the outshining of the Father's glory. So the glory that was seen in Christ is an outshining of the Father's glory that was in him. But the source of it was his Father. So the Father is, is, the, prime, is, is, the, is the beginning of everything. He is the source of everything. And He is first in authority. It is His will that's done. Notice Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, our, including Him, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, He said, talking to those, those lawless disciples, and says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you've not yet learned to do the will of my Father that's in heaven. Jesus said a number of places, I only came to do the will of my Father. So Jesus was submitted to his Father's authority. Jesus was committed and submitted to carry out his Father's wills. So it's the Father's will that the Son is responsible for carrying out. So the Son is the second person in authority. Jesus said later on, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Well, it was, it was given unto him, it wasn't his to begin with. It had to be given by somebody from where it came. And I've taught you before, the source of all authority is with the one who made it. The original source of authority over the car that I drive was from General Motors that made it. Then they transferred that authority to whatever the dealership was I bought it from, and then, 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 that, then that was transferred to me. So as the ownership of the car is passed along, authority over the car is passed with it. So since God is the author of all things, He's the source of authority for everything, and He can delegate that authority, which He did to the Son. But He only delegates authority for the purpose of carrying out a responsibility, so He delegated that authority to the Son, so the Son could carry out a responsibility, and that responsibility was to collect all of mankind back again after man sinned in Genesis chapter 3. And so the Son is the second in authority. And the third in authority is the Spirit. The Spirit is subordinate to the Son. He is sent in the name of the Son. He speaks for Christ. And His only purpose is to glorify Christ. The Father wills, the Son is responsible for seeing it done, and the Holy Spirit is the physical agent that does it. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, you'll see in the very beginning, 1 and 2, it says, and God created and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the earth. That's the agent of God to actually carry it out. The Father willed for the church to be born. Jesus paid His life so the church could be born. But the birth of the church took when the Spirit was breathed into the church. 
the agent to carry out the will of the Father, which is why if we're not filled with the Spirit, if we're not walking in the power of the Spirit, how can we carry out the Father's will? His will is so far beyond our ability. What we do is we'll back down from the will of God when we look at our ability. We'll see what we can do, what we can come up with and say, well, that's too much. We can't do that. So let's figure out what we can do, pull our resources together, and plan how we can manage those resources to accomplish as best we can for God. That's not God's method. God says, here's something. God always gives you something to do that's beyond your ability. I heard a teacher years ago came to visit us when we were in Bible school. He said this. He said, if the vision God gives you doesn't keep you up at night, you haven't heard the vision God has given you. Because it's going to be so far beyond you that you realize you can't do it. We need His ability in us. The church was birthed that way. It was grown that way. It multiplied that way. And somehow when we got, it got bigger, and this has been the pattern of the church over and over again. When it begins to get prosperous, when it gets successful, when it has a nice building and air conditioning and nice lighting systems, we begin to get satisfied with those things and we begin to rely on our own understanding instead of on the power of God. When the church has been stripped of those things or it has an enemy out there that's a common enemy and all it can rely on is God, that's when the Spirit of God is generally moved. But He wants to move without all that stuff. And that's why we need to seek Him. Okay, all right. Okay, so He is... He, all, there's, there's an order to the authority. The Son is subordinate to the Father. The Spirit is sent in His name. His purpose is to glorify the Father. All right, now what I want to begin to talk about this is very important. I want to begin to talk about the personality of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is, of all the things we're going to say, not for the whole course, but in, this is the most important thing you need to get a hold of. This is what God began to call me back to. Because I had missed it, even though I've taught this over and over again and been taught it. The Holy Spirit is a person. I'm going to prove that to you. He is a person. It's, under, it's easy to understand God the Father is a person. It's easy to understand, and by person I mean has a personality. Has a personality. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm sure you've known some people that just didn't seem to have any personality. And you know, are they really, is anybody in there? Hello, anybody home? Because when you have a personality, I can, you can identify, they're different, you know, for the those of you in this room that I know very well, there are differences in your personality. And I, if, I may not recognize your voice, but if you start describing some of you, I'll know who you're talking about because you have unique personalities. And that's wonderful. And the Holy Spirit has a personality. He's a person. And I'll show you in a minute why this is so, why this is so important. He is a person. He is not a force or an influence. It's a very popular movie series that's gone through two generations now. It just came out again. And you'll recognize the one I'm talking about because the theme throughout it is may the force be with you. And it's all about warriors learning to get in tune with the force of nature, the force that's out there. And when they get in tune with that force, they have supernatural wisdom, supernatural power, supernatural, the force is with them to carry it out. And that's cute, and that's entertaining, but here's what is subtly dangerous about that. That's how we see the Holy Spirit also. Because the force be with you, the force has no personality. It's not a person. It's not a person. You say, well, why is it so important to understand that the Holy Spirit's a person and not a force or, or a power? And here's the reason. 
because every day you're dealing with, a, with force and power in your home and in the world. You drive a vehicle that's full of power. You, you have in the walls of your house or your apartment, you have wires that contain a force and a power that you use every day to dry your hair, brush your teeth, cook your food, whatever it is you do. There's power and force all around us that is at our disposal to be tamed, to be learned how to use it properly, and to use it to do things that accomplish results. And the churches very subtly believe that the Holy Spirit is another power. This one happens to be from God. Therefore, we need to learn how to understand Him, how to manage Him, how to use Him to carry out what we need to have Him do in our lives. So when it's a force, you have to learn how to control it, manage it, and use it for your purposes. But if you've been married very long, you'll find out that a person you cannot control, manage, or use for your purposes very successfully. A person you have to develop a relationship with. A person you have to trust. A person you have to submit to at different times. So here's the importance of this distinction. If we think the Holy Spirit is a force or an influence, our whole focus will be on how to get more of Him. And this has been the error in so many cases of the charismatic revival. The focus is on us. How can I get more of Him working in my life? How can I better control Him? How can I... It's on me. The motive is therefore to benefit us. But if we know Him as a person, our focus will be on how He can have more of us. On how we can cooperate with Him. I spent the first 10 years of our marriage trying to learn how to control Anita. And it almost destroyed us. Manipulation will destroy a marriage. It destroys intimacy. Because the very essence of manipulation is I'm trying to get you to do what I want you to do. So I'm going to use you for my purposes. And we can be very subtle with that. But we can also try to do that with God. We can try to manipulate God. We can try to get God to feel sorry for us. We can plead this case and say, God, oh, this is a terrible situation. Or, oh, God, oh, this person would make a wonderful Christian. Yeah, silly that sounds to God. Like God looks at people, oh, that would make a better Christian than this Christian. You know what qualifies you to be a Christian? That you're a sinner, that you're a mess. It's not how good somebody is. It's not how successful they're going to be. That's using God for our purposes. And there are many other ways in which we do that. Well, if we see the Holy Spirit as a force, our whole focus is, I need more of Him in my life. I need, I need more of His power. I need more of His strength. I need more of Him. I need Him. And that's all focused on what He can do for me. And i got to control him, find out what I have to do. But if he's a person, what I'm learning, I'm not mastered it yet, what I'm learning is to begin to relate in a marriage to a person, and she's an identity of her own, and she has her own desires and her own will. I have to learn to build her up. I have to learn to how to, to, to under, just still learn who she is. And that's, that's a lifelong process of learning who each other is, which means you don't take them for granted. And what's the church done with the Holy Spirit? We've taken Him for granted. We've taken Him for granted because we don't realize there's a person living inside of you. What does it mean to be a person? That means they have a personality. That means they have a, they have a mind, a will, and emotions. So there's someone else living inside of you that has their own mind, that has their own will, and we're going to learn, even has emotions. So the Holy Spirit is a person 
He's God's personality living inside of you. This is crucial to our Christian life. The failure to see him as a person robs us of having a full relationship with God who's living inside of one-third of God, and we're going to learn down the road, he is our primary contact with God. He is your primary contact with God. God's direction in your life comes primarily by the Spirit of God expressing himself to your spirit. And we'll learn as we learn, get into his method of communication that God communicates perfectly to your spirit. Perfectly. God's will for your life, God's answer to every question you've ever asked him, from his side, he perfectly communicates it. God has designed, God doesn't make anything that's faulty. He's designed a perfect communication system. Say, well, how come I'm having so much trouble hearing? We're going to learn the answer to that. But it's not God's side. In many cases, we're trying to hear and learn from other sources when the answer is inside of you. You're going to have to learn how to listen in here and cooperate with Him in here. So you need to know that He's a person and develop a relationship with that person so that you can hear Him and trust Him. He's just as much a person as Jesus and the Father. What I want to begin to get into now is that the Bible, we're going to, I'm going to go through some, a number of scriptures, and it's not important that you get these scriptures down. I want you to listen to them because they're going to show you the way the Bible refers to him as a person and not a thing because there are attributes about him. There are verses that talk about him in ways you would only talk about a person. There are qualities that he has that only a person can have. So we're going to go through some of these. All right, he has all the characteristics of a person. First thing is, he's capable of knowing things. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. For to us God revealed them. I just prayed this earlier. This is the deep secrets of God. For us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches, that's another one we're going to see in a minute, all things, even the depths of God. From who among a man knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of that man that's in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God knows God's thoughts. Isaiah 55 says, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But that doesn't mean we can't know His thoughts because there's one living inside of you that knows God's thoughts. And He's living inside of you. A force can't know thoughts. A force can't know anything. So part of a personality is being able to know things. Second thing we're going to look at. The Bible talks about him as loving, Romans 15, 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So the Holy Spirit loves. He can love. Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can love. He, he's capable of loving because God is love. The electricity in your wall doesn't love you or hate you. It's totally neutral. It'll cook your toast. It'll fry you, either one or the other. It'll electrocute you and send you to, to the next life, or it'll, or, it'll, or it'll dry your hair. It's up to you. What it, does. it has no care. It has no personality. It doesn't love or hate. It's, it's, it's impersonal because it's not a person, but the Spirit of God 
is capable of loving because God is love. Okay. Next thing. He can be grieved. Hebrews or Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you are sealed by the day of judgment. He can be hurt. That basically means he can be hurt. If you've had children sometimes, they'll do things that can hurt you or, or close family relatives that may say something or do something or maybe a close friend that just, they got upset one day and they said something that may not, but it hurt you. It grieved you. He can be hurt. His feelings can be hurt. Electricity can't get his feelings hurt. If you can stand there and say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, it doesn't care a bit. It'll still cook your toast or it'll fry you. One, It'll do either one. It doesn't care. It doesn't go back to the power plant. Say, oh my goodness, the Sullivan's don't like me. I don't want... Me, 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 me. The Holy Spirit has a personality and He can be hurt. He can be grieved. We can do things that grieve. doesn't mean He's going to leave, but He can be hurt. He can be grieved. Next thing is He has His own will. He has his own will. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. But one, in, but one in the same Spirit works all these things and distributes individually. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He distributes these gifts to one individually just as he wills. So the Holy Spirit decides how those nine gifts of the Spirit are going to be distributed. He decides how they're going to be operated. They don't operate at our, at our beck and call. He decides it's as He wills. So He has the ability to will something, to want something. And of course, His will is purposely in line with God's will. He has a mind. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Romans 8, 27. And He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So those are characteristics of a personality that are ascribed to him. We're going to look at a couple of others. We read one before. He's capable of knowing. Whoops, I just went backwards. Okay, he can be grieved, has his own will. Okay, and he searches. We looked at all those. Okay. Let me give you searches. We read it before in another context. First Corinthians two ten. For to us the Spirit is revealed to them. God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the search, Spirit searches all things, even the depths of heart. It implies again with He has a mind and a will. Okay. And the next thing is He speaks. The Spirit speaks to the churches. Revelations all through Revelation. Revelation two seven. Jesus said, "He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." To him who overcome, I will grant the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that's in one, two, three, four, five, six other places in Revelation. So the Holy Spirit is speaking something to churches. And if you go through and read what he's speaking, he's speaking something separate and distinct to each one of those churches. So the Spirit of God speaks something to Faith Christian Center. He has a message for safe faith, but, uh, but the electricity in these walls has never spoken to me when I'm in here. It doesn't talk. It may crackle and warm me, don't touch me, but it's not speaking some message to me. Okay. Okay, now here's some more. There we are. 
He cries out. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit in you cries out to God, whether you realize it or not, Abba, Father. You may not have the confidence to call God Abba, Father, but the Holy Spirit in you is wit- bears witness with that. Okay, so He cries out within you. Okay. The next thing He does, this is very good, He makes intercession for us. Romans 8.26, In the same way the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So if you go on and read the context, He's saying, because you don't always know what to pray, God's made provision for that. He's put His Spirit in you. And this is, we'll, we'll get to this later on, but this is part of that perfect communication. You've got God in heaven who has a mind is, 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 has no limits on it. He knows everything. And He has a will and desire in His heart for you, blessings for you. But our minds can't grasp that. But God's put His Spirit inside of us, and the Spirit inside of us searches the depths of God's heart to communicate to us the things that God has for us. The other side of this communication is now we have to talk back to God. We have to intercede. We have to pray for our needs, the needs of other people. And because our mind is so small compared to God's, because our perspective is so small, because our faith is so weak, because we're so weak in what we understand, we don't know what to pray. And that verse says, but when we don't know the what to pray, the Spirit helps us. That word literally means takes hold together with us against the situation. And he He draws out of your, just as He draws out of God's heart what God wants us to know, He draws out of your heart what you want God to know and and He conforms it to the perfect will of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Every time you pray, this is operating whether you know it or not. This is operating. And He's in you to do that. But the reason we don't experience that is we don't call we don't expect Him to do it. We don't believe He's in there to do it. So we draw back, well, I can't pray today. I don't feel like praying today. I feel so weak. That's when you really need to pray and pray in the Spirit. Stir up the gift that's in you, Paul told Timothy. All right. I'll get stirred up. I'm not careful here. Okay, the next thing is He testifies. I've never yet been in court and had electricity standing on the, way, on the stand or, or, you know, a tornado sitting on the stand. It has to be somebody with a personality. They have to be able to hear your questions, answer your questions, and express your questions. How does he testify? John 15, 26. When the Helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from my mouth, he will testify or bear witness of me. So part of his job is to talk to you about Jesus. Part of his job is to reveal who Jesus is to you and through you to other people. He testifies. Okay, next thing is, he teaches. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send on my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said about you. Now, I have sat in some classrooms in my career, and I didn't think that teacher had much of a personality, but they had some personality. So to be a teacher, you have to have some personality. You have to be animated somehow. And so he is a teacher. His role is to teach you things. The next thing is, he guides or leads. Verse 7, uh, uh, Romans, John 16, 13. Uh, However, he, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. 
You cannot rely on a force to guide you. gives guidance to you. So He gives guidance to us. The next thing is He leads. Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He guides you. He leads you. These are different ways of saying the same thing. And the last thing we're going to look at in this context is He can forbid you if you'll listen to Him. Acts 16, verse 7. And they passed through Phrygia and Galatia region, having been forgiven bidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And when they come to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus would not permit them. This is when the Spirit of God redirected Paul from going through the northern part of Turkey, of Asia Minor, and directed them over to Greece, because he wanted the word spread in Greece. Paul didn't hear that in a vision. Paul, Paul, there was a place where Paul did see a vision, but the Spirit of God forbade them, stopped them from going. He directed Paul's ministry. He directed Paul and Barnabas when they began their ministry. So that's the next thing. We're going to look at personal qualities continued still. He directs ministries. Acts 13.2 And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Paul, Saul, and Barnabas for the work unto which I called them. So he selects for ministry. He directs for ministry. And the early church was so successful because he was the head. He was the one that ran the church. They followed his direction. They didn't know where to go, what to do. They had no idea what they were doing. All they knew was just follow what the Spirit of God is saying. And they went and they did whatever he said, and it prospered. He selected who would be overseers of the church. Acts 20, verse 28, Be on guard for yourself and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. They didn't have committees that voted. They had committees that prayed to find out what the Spirit of God wanted. He stands in an office that can only be described as that of a person. John 14, 16, And I will fast the Father, and He will give you another helper. That, that which another, that word in Greek means a replacement. For, for, so He is Jesus' replacement. His job is to do what Jesus was doing for them and with them. Only a person could do that. Okay. The next thing is he can be, he's treated as only a person can be treated. He can be rebelled against. Isaiah 63.10 And they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Therefore He turned Himself to be their enemy and fought against them. He can be insulted. Hebrews 10.29 How much more severe punishment do you think will be deserved those who trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded unclean the blood of the covenant which was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? He can be insulted. He can be grieved. You can't insult a force. He can be lied to. Ananias and Sapphira. That when everybody was selling everything they had, and presenting them, they came and the, they, and the, and the pastor said, did you, does this, did you sell everything? Yes, they lied. And he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And they dropped dead. And then she came in a little later and she did the same thing. And she dropped dead. Because they lied to the Holy Spirit. He can be blasphemed. Matthew 12, 31. Therefore I say unto you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. Therefore whoever speaks, listen to this, whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, he can be forgiven. Whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. He can be blasphemed. 
Now, I believe personally the reason why that can't be forgiven is the agent by which God convicts us is the Holy Spirit. And if you've rejected the Holy Spirit, you've, by blaspheme, it's not just saying a word out of your mouth, but you've rejected Him. In that case, they were, what they were attributing, in this context, they were attributing to the, whole, to, the, to, Holy, they were attributing to the Holy Spirit Satan's work. They were saying to Jesus about Jesus, well, he cast demons out by the power of, 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 of Satan. And Jesus said, well, wait, 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 wait a minute, what did you just say? First of all, if Satan's bound them and now he's casting them out, then he's working against himself and a kingdom that's working against itself cannot stand very long. But then he took it to another level. He said, what he's saying is by attributing Satan's work to the Holy Spirit, you're blaspheming Him. You're, bla- you're rejecting the Holy Spirit's work. And I, it doesn't say so, but I believe one of the reasons why that is so dangerous is the only means God has of convicting us when we're off is His Spirit convicting your spirit. And so if we've hardened our hearts and rejected the Holy Spirit, we've rejected the only avenue God has of getting through to our heart. So if you've gotten mad at Jesus, if you blaspheme Him, God can get to your heart through the Holy Spirit. If you blaspheme God the Father, God can still get to your heart through the Holy Spirit. But if you blasphemed Him, this is why, how crucial He is. He is God's avenue to your heart, to work in your heart, to soften your heart. You've heard me share my testimony when, when the, the Holy Spirit was, was working on the hard heart. I'd never cried. I mean, since a child, I hadn't cried. I was hard in my heart, and I walked into the back of that cold, hard church on that Christmas Eve service, and there was music playing, and there were candle, it was candlelight. I walked in. I was a deacon in the church. I walked in the back, and I sat down because I was late for the service, and I sat down out of breath, and, and within a few minutes, I'm starting to inside. And the next thing I know, I'm losing it. I'm crying like a baby. I so much, I ran out the back door. I had no idea what was going on. It was not like something happened and I was, but it was this, I realized later, it was the Holy Spirit using that setting to begin to break down some of that hardness in my heart. Well, if He weren't at work in me, I'd still be sitting in that cold, hard church. Lost. He's the one that breaks down the barriers. He's the one that brings the Word of God and takes the words you say and penetrates the heart. You can't get in somebody's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can. Our job is to say the words. Our job is to pray. He does the penetrating. He breaks down the hardness. And so this is why, but He he can be blasphemed. He can be grieved. He can be rebelled against. We're going to pick up here next time because we're running, we're running out of time. We've gone through the attributes that the Bible uses to refer to Him as a person. The attributes that the Bible uses to refer to Him as a person. What I want you to do between now and the next time we meet, because next week we have a, we have a guest speaker. What I want you to do between now and the next time we meet, I want you to take and begin to think about, talk to Him in the morning when you get up. Just talk to them. That's how you get to know somebody, is you talk to them. When you get in your car, talk to them. Don't just play music. Talk to him. We ignore him. He's the most ignored part of God. We may talk to the Father. We may talk to Jesus. 
but he's living inside of us. And in, in many ways, we're just rude. You got somebody living in your house, you're going to talk to them. We got family living in our house for right now for a short. We, we, you know, we don't get up and just ignore them and walk past them. They went, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with dad today? What's wrong with grandpa? It's like you walk right past me. Be rude. And if you went to work and everybody ignored you, he's inside of you. And that's how you're going to get to know him. Talk to him about things as if he really is in there to help you. Ask for advice. And then begin to expect it and listen to it. And then we're going to pick up on some other things. We need to pray right now. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Father, for your teaching. We thank you for the presence of your spirit. We come to you and we confess to you, Lord, we have for so long in many ways ignored him. In many cases out of ignorance. In many cases because we've just not been taught or in some cases we've been taught and we've just forgotten. And yet he is part of your provision for your church. He's part of your provision for your children. Your wisdom is inside of us. Your life is inside of us. Your direction is inside of us. Your comfort is inside of us. Your love is inside of us. Father, we ask you to begin to open the eyes of our understanding that we would truly see the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us because the world around us desperately needs him flowing in us, through us, and out of us. Help us to realize He is truly a person. And He is not just some force of nature, some force of God, but He is a reality, a person living inside of us. And Holy Spirit, we ask You to help us to get to know You. In Jesus' name, amen.